So as Philip said, we're coming towards the end of our series on Joseph. We've just got one more instalment next Sunday. And this morning we're looking at these, uh, these words that Jacob spoke to his uh, sons. And words are really powerful, aren't they? With our words we can build others up or we can tear people down. Often their power on whether they build people up or tear them down, whether we encourage or destroy, is dependent on the attitude of the person speaking the words. Are they speaking them out of love or out of anger and in haste? And often as well the closeness of the ones speaking the words to us, whether they're somebody we respect, whether they're somebody we look up to or not also adds to their power, doesn't it? Are they these words from someone you really respect? Are there words in your life that have great power over you? Are they words that encourage you when you think about them? Or are actually they words that discourage you? This morning, as you heard, uh, just in the reading, we're going to be looking at those closing words that Jacob speaks to his sons before he dies. And this was the custom back then, uh, that a father would give a blessing to his sons just before he he died. It functioned a little bit like a will does today. Uh, The words spoken in the blessing had power and authority. They would be expected to be carried out. But unlike our wills, these blessings also uh, had a especially the one by Jacob, had a prophetic and spiritual dimension to them, often. They would have the power to build up or tear down the hopes and prospects of those in his family. And I think it would be fair to say, from the words you heard this morning, the blessings were not all good for his children, were they? We only heard, uh, read the blessings given to uh, four of Jacob's sons, uh, to, to Reuben, uh, to Simeon and Levi, who were bind, uh, bound together, and also to Judah. And the first three sons received blessings that weren't good. And I can tell you, out of the 12 blessings that Jacob gave out, they were a real mixture of uh, good, bad, and indifferent. We rated them at uh, a staff meeting. That uh, Who says we never have fun at our staff meetings? We rated these blessings. Uh, uh, last week we had said two were excellent, three were good, two were indifferent, Three were bad and two were appalling. (laughs) Okay, so that's how mixed they were. The words uh, that Jacob would have spoken to his sons here at this poignant moment in his life, right near the end of it, would have been met with a real difference of emotions for the individuals. It built some up, it tore some down. And what we're going to look at this morning is, are there any factors in what Uh, why some received a bad or appalling blessing and others received a good blessing. But as we do that, I just want to make it clear that I think, you know, Jacob's uh, words were not perfect. We don't take all of Jacob's word as completely perfect words that were spoken without any human error in them. We know that at least one of the the blessings that he meted out didn't exactly uh, come true. But having said that, it is clear that Jacob in this blessing had some revelation from God in there. He had been communicated to by God. And some of his words 
were inspired and we, uh, we need to remember that as we look at this and we're going to take great comfort in that at certain points. But let's get into our, into, the, into our three points. And the first one is this, the thing I think we can learn about some of the bad blessings is ignored sin impacts our future. The first three sons, Jacob, Simeon, sorry, not Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, all get blessings that are of the negative persuasion. Reuben, the firstborn, normally the son that receives the biggest blessing, uh, by the way, particularly as the firstborn was the son, firstborn son was the, the, the one that was thought to get the lion's share of the father's uh, strength in, in birth, which is hinted at in that blessing. But yet we're told in verse that Reuben is as turbulent as the waters and he will no longer excel. As last words to hear a loved one speak to you, they're not going to be top of the list of things you want to hear, are they? You're turbulent, you're no longer going to excel. They're words that are going to tear you down. I certainly wouldn't want to hear those uh, words from my father to me as his last words. So why did Jacob say this to his son? I think uh, one of the only clues, uh, the clue we're given in, the, in Scripture is it in, in verse 4, it continues. Why are you going to be as turbulent as waters? It says, for you went up to your father's bed onto my couch and defiled it. What is that talking about? Well, it's actually referring to something that happened uh, in Reuben's past before we even picked up uh, the story of Joseph. And it's referring back to an unsavory incident that happened a really long time ago. Back in chapter 34, verse 22. Do have a quick look up of it if you want. It's only mentioned in that verse. But what happens is Reuben goes and sleeps with one of his father's uh, concubines, Bilhah. And we're told that all Israel heard about it. Now, why did all Israel hear about it? Because something like that was a really, really big deal. It would have been a huge scandal. You know, having concubines, just need to say, was acceptable practice back then. It's not today, but back then it was acceptable. Uh, but sleeping with someone else's concubine was not allowed. In particular, sleeping with your father's concubine would have been a huge no-no, a huge scandal would have brought, been a huge sign of disrespect and honour towards your family and towards your father. And what's surprising about this incident, with it being such a, a, a big thing, is it's only mentioned in this one verse. The Bible gives no hint that this mistake of Reuben was ever resolved. It gives no hint that Reuben, repent, Reuben repented of his actions. And here in the blessing, we see Jacob bringing up this unrepented past of Reuben and telling him that it's going to impact his future. The phrase turbulent as the waters picks up a whole new meaning when we think about that, doesn't it? The waves that are, are turbulent, waters, they just flow this way and that. And I think perhaps what Reuben, uh, so what Jacob is referring to is that when Reuben saw Bilhah, that's where his desire took him. He flowed and he just went with it probably with little thought to the consequences of his actions. He just liked what he saw and went for it. Turbulent as the waters, he just goes with the flow of whatever he's feeling at the time. And Jacob is saying, that's what you're going to be like. 
that means you're not going to excel. And what about the blessing given, the joint blessing given to Simeon and Levi? Jacob talks about an anger so fierce and cruel that they will be scattered. What's that about? Well, again, back in the past, there was uh, unrepented sin on both their parts. Even further back in Genesis 34, Simeon and Levi trick and murder all the men in a nearby city because one of them uh, attacked, uh, raped, and wanted Dina, their sister, as, as a wife. They chose to mete out justice, not just on their sister's guilty assailant, but on every man in the, every man in the city. Their anger got the better of them, and they weren't sorry after either. Jacob, their father, rebukes them, and they just say, well, they shouldn't have done that. So there's unresolved anger that they have is also played out in their future. Jacob tells them that their anger will lead to their tribe being scattered and dispersed. In both of the blessings, the future downfall of the sons and their tribes is linked to the unrepented mistakes they have made. The brothers refused to acknowledge their mistakes, and so their fault was going to stay, faults were going to stay with them and would greatly impact their future. I think it's the same with us and our mistakes too. When we refuse to acknowledge our faults, when we justify or ignore them, we're going to carry on with that same behaviour, aren't we? And it's going to impact and damage us in the present and also in the future. At one of my previous churches I, I worked at, there was this uh, lady uh, who came to church, and she was actually a lady that a lot of people were afraid of, and sadly many would avoid. Something that shouldn't happen in churches, you know, we should be a friendly, welcoming bunch on the whole, shouldn't we? And I, I hope we are here. You've certainly been to me. But she was avoided because of her temper and the way she would speak to people. She would just say what she thought with very little filtering. And we once got round to having a, discussions about how, a discussion about how Christians should, should speak to one another in, in love. And when it came to her part in the discussion to share, she said something along the lines of, Oh, you all know me. I just say things how I see them. I don't mind who or what it's about. That's just how God made me. If he didn't want me to be like that, he would have made me differently. Now, obviously, as I said, we're called to, as Christians, we're called to be speakers of truth, but we're called to be speakers of truth in love and care to the other person. But she wasn't doing that, and she did have the ability to hold back. She completely failed to see what she was doing was wrong and take any responsibility for her actions. She failed to see the impact her words were having on others. This attitude of, this is who I am, and it's not my fault, was stopping her, stopping her from becoming what she could be. It was hurting others, and sadly, uh, her daughter also uh, came to the children's group. You could see it impacting and affecting her daughter as well. It was going to have impact in her family's future, the way she behaved. 
her stubbornness and refusal to recognize her wrongdoings was impacting her life and being carried forward to the future. So can I ask you this question this morning? Is there a part of your life that you're stubbornly holding on to? Something, uh, maybe it's just a niggle inside you about an action or an attitude that you have that you kind of know isn't right. And maybe God might be challenging you in that, to bring it to him, to acknowledge it as wrong and change it for the better, for the future. I want to encourage you, if you have something like that, don't ignore it. Pray about it. Talk with someone you trust about it. Ask for forgiveness from God for it and ask him to help you to change moving forward. But don't let it remain undetected because it will damage your future, just like it did with that lady and her daughter and her family, just like it did with Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And if we do come to God, if we do ask for his forgiveness, if we do repent, it will make a difference because not all the blessings were bad in our reading. Let's turn and look at Judah's blessing. And this is going to lead to the second point. Here's that second point, which is that God can use you no matter what you've done. Judah's blessing is pretty incredible. Let's just uh, read the first verse of it. Again, verse 8. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. This is not Joseph, Jacob, is blessing here, the prince among his brothers. This is Judah. The name, uh, uh, <coughs> the same Judah, if you remember, for those of you that have been following us through this whole series, who was the ringleader in selling Joseph into slavery in the first place. He was the one that suggested flogging Joseph to those Ishmaelite traders as they were passing by for silver. What a horrendous thing to do, sell your brother for silver. Yet despite being the ringleader in that awful event, Judah is given this amazing blessing. What's the difference between him and his brothers? The reason I can see given in the Bible is that Judah showed repentance for his actions. We looked at a few weeks ago the part of the story where Joseph uh, threatened to lock Benjamin, uh, the youngest brother, away and keep him as a slave. And if you remember, Judah in that story could see history repeating itself. He didn't want another brother uh, to become a slave like what had happened to Joseph. And he begged Joseph not to take Benjamin as a slave. He didn't want to see the same mistake be made again and he pleaded, Joseph, take me instead of Benjamin. You see, Judah in that was demonstrating he learned from his mistake. He showed repentance and his actions had changed. And this was the turning point in the reconciliation of Judah and his brothers to Joseph, wasn't it? It was after Judah's pleading, Judah's recognition of what he'd done wrong and his changed attitude. That opened Joseph up to revealing himself to, uh, back to his brothers, to who he was. And it also opened up for Judah this promise of an even greater future blessing. 
I think this really goes to show that God uses people, even those who make mistakes, and big ones at that, if we repent. And that's good news for every single one of us. Great news for every single one of us. You know, the Bible's littered full of, uh, of people who make mistakes, yet people that God uses powerfully. You know, King David, most of Jesus' disciples. Paul, who wrote loads of the New Testament. You know, he had Christians stoned to death, for goodness sake. Yet God uses him incredibly. And there's many, many more. And God can use you, too. I've had a few people in the past say to me, God can't use me. He doesn't know what I've done. He can't possibly want me. But the answer to that is always the same. He does know what you've done. You'll know what you will do. And he still wants you. He can still use you. You know, we can, third point, we can really believe and trust the words of God. God says, if we come to him, he will forgive us. He will bless us and use us. We can believe those words. Judah's blessing didn't just stop at his brothers bowing down, did it? It continued. Let me read you verse 10 again. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. What's this verse talking about? If you haven't realized, it's talking about Jesus. Right here in the story of Joseph, Jesus is being pointed towards as the future hope of all the nations. The scepter, that symbol of authority, won't leave the line of Judah, we're told, until it comes to the one to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations will be his. And it was from the line of Judah that Jesus was born from. The saviour of the world and the ruler of nations came through the line of a sinful but repentant Judah. Jacob said these words in faith. Jacob said these words looking back at the blessing that he received and looking forward to its ultimate fulfillment. If we uh, look back further than the stories of Jacob to his father and to his grandfather Isaac and Abraham, I think you did those series before I was here, I've been told. They all received blessings from God, didn't they? They, they happened in rather different circumstances to the blessing that Jacob was giving his sons today. But those blessings, they all said the same thing, that they would have a huge family with as many people as there were stars in the sky in it. That from the, the people would have a land of their own and that God would bless the whole world through them. Jacob is trusting and remembering those promises that God gave to his father, to his grandfather, but also the blessing that, that Jacob received as well. And he's looking to its ultimate fulfillment of that promise in the future through the line of, that, of Judah, that sinful but repentant Judah. And it just really, I thought, as I was thinking of that, links really well with Advent, doesn't it? Because we're in Advent at the moment, in, in the build-up to Christmas. And what's Advent about? It's about two things. It's about looking back 
and remembering the coming of Jesus into the world as a baby. The fulfillment of that part of, of the blessing that Jacob gave to Judah. That's what we are doing here in Advent. We're looking back and remembering. We can look back and see God at work in his story thousands of years before Jesus was born. Jesus was working out his plans to rescue the world in the future. And he rescued it from using a sinful and messed up family. Or through a sinful and messed up family. But the second thing we do in Advent, other than look back and remember Jesus coming, is we also we look forward, don't we? To the promised second coming of Jesus. When there is an end to all the pain, to all the suffering going on in the world, where the promises of God come true. And actually, as we look back on this story this morning, I think it should fill us with greater confidence as we look forward into the future. It should fill us with greater uh, confidence in those promises because we've seen, no matter how messed up the family might seem to us, God's plans can't be changed. God's plans to rescue the world are going to come through in the end. They came through this family where all sorts of horrendous stuff happened. We look at the world and there's all sorts of horrendous stuff happening in the world. There may even be horrendous or bad stuff happening in our lives at the moment. But what we can do is we can look back and see God being faithful in the past. So we can look forward to the future, trusting and knowing that God's going to be faithful in the future too. That God does forgive us when we turn to him. That we are not so messed up that God can't use us but that we can trust that he forgives, trust that he has a plan for us, and trust that he can use you.